It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. My name is KP Burke. I am your host. And with me as always is my Dilf of a dad. Say hello, dad. Hello, dad. Hey, that's an old dad joke. Oh, jeez. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this is the way we're starting right this off week. Bad. Yeah, I'm not, sorry, folks. The yeah. skip button is the arrow to the right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, Fast don't forward. skip this one. We got good people here in studio. Of course, behind the ones and twos, the big kahuna. You know him, guys. What's going on, man? Kuhn, I understand a project of yours has recently taken off. Project of mine, project of ours. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. You guys know it. Escape from Jacksonville is officially out over on YouTube. Uh, the great people over at the Laugh Button have clipped that out for me on Instagram. And a couple of them have taken, I don't know, is it fair to say the fuck off? Is yeah. That- <laughs> yeah. So, I'd have to say so. That part feels good. So if and I know there are people out there that want to see me come out to their towns or whatever, if you uh, tell me a club that you guys live near, that you guys would come out and support if I came out and did live comedy, uh, just let me know. Hit me up in the DMs. I lost the American Loser Instagram page because I was being salty one day and didn't want to verify my age. So just hit me up at, at KP Burke sucks over on Instagram. And I deleted Twitter again. Um, I got what I wanted. Kevin Smith retweeted me. And then I was like, all right, cool. I got it. <laughs> I have a screenshot of it. And then boom, I got off the evil Twitter device. Um, so with me today is one of my guests, one of my oldest friends, actually. This is how you know you're friends with people, when they can beat you up and then you still stay friends. <laughs> it's happened a couple times throughout our friendship. But uh, Anthony Delectus is here. Uh, and you actually – where can people find you on social media? Because I, I do want to plug the thing because it is pertinent to the episode a little bit. Uh, everyone can find me on Tony D. Fit on Instagram. And uh, obviously, he's a strapping young man, ladies, so check him out on that one, too. He is married right. to a doctor. That, that is true. My wife just got her uh, doctor in clinical psychology. I uh, graduated a few weeks ago, actually. Fucking hey, man. And it was great to see you, too, because you uh, showed up for the album release party over at the dojo. And uh, not only did you show up with you and your wife. You literally brought your entire family. That's right. Parents, your siblings, siblings, significant others. Was, it was yep. pre- everybody, everybody came. They were uh, on the family plan on that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Oh, it was good, man. It was very good to see everybody, too. And by the way, um, your folks are down in Jacksonville. They are. So, And they yeah. saw one of my terrible, awkward stumbling sets when I was still trying to figure out comedy. So to show them that I don't stumble as much anymore felt really good to me, man. Yeah. 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 No, that's what uh, that's exactly what my dad told me, that he first saw you uh, down there when you got first, first started. And then uh, I heard him when he was talking to you after the show. He was like, <laughs> It was, he was like I said, I'm proud of you for sticking through it for the last ten years. It was so close now. to him saying, "Like, yo, you remember when you sucked ass?" <laughs> <laughs> almost almost right. came out. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, Tony D. Fit over on Instagram. Tell people a little bit of what you're doing here, and then we'll go into the whole thing. Because I, I like the idea. Because I I totally believe in the thing you're doing. Obviously, you are showing great results with yeah. yourself and everything. But we we get shit wrong all the time. Yeah. That seems to be kind of that's kind of the crux of this episode. We think things are going to work and then they don't, or maybe we have to move forward with um, 
Our expectations yeah. aren't quite met. Yeah, yeah progress. You know. <laughs> yeah. So what's the what's the? I don't want to call it a gimmick because it's not yeah. a gimmick. This yeah. is there's science based on all this. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, let's go back to like 20, 2017, 20 or like early twenty eighteen. Um, you know, over in my twenties, right? I mean, Kevin remembers me back. You know, when I played sports and everything, and I was worked out, I was in good shape. And then when you get to your twenties, you know, things happen, and you know, I put on a lot of weight, and you know, I'm sure a lot of people have gotten there where they're not happy with themselves, and they got to a point where I was like, you know, I want to, I want to do something about this, and I want to make a change. And um, you know, I tried tried different things over the years, and um, somebody I work with actually came to me and was like, hey, have you heard of this thing called intermittent fasting? And uh, to uh, me, it was either that or Adderall, yeah, right? <laughs> one or the other, right? <laughs> One's going to work, right? So at the time, you know, uh, a lot of the things that I had, you know, learned and heard and, and read over the years, I was like, that doesn't make sense. How does that make sense? You're supposed to eat six, five or six meals a day. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. You know, how could you possibly eat burgers and steak and potatoes and whatever you want, you know, for dinner, you know, and still, <laughs> still get in shape? Like, how does that make any sense? And he's like, no, 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 no. Just like do some research on it. There's a lot of like articles out there. And, um, you know, get back to me and, you know, if you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it, but it's, it's really cool. So, you know, I sat down, I was like, all right, fine. You know, I sat down, I 30, 40 minutes of like reading, you know, watching YouTube videos, reading articles, going through some research articles, things like that. And I was like, you know what, there's enough out here for me to actually like give it a shot. And, uh, so I started doing it and, you know, it took me about a year, you know, I lost 60 pounds. Jesus. Um, um, now I'm 34 years old. I'm literally in the best shape I've ever been in my entire life. Um, and, you know, I mean, again, it's not like some magic pill where like, you know, you're going to do it. You're going to a lot of people like to say it's like, you know, oh, you're just skipping a meal. So you're in cal caloric restriction. So you're going to lose weight. But there's a lot more to it than that. And honestly, like, you know, it's not about <laughs> Like it all, it's all going to come down to calories. But for me, I always knew, realized that my biggest problem was like once I started eating, I didn't want to, like I couldn't stop. Like I was just never. That's actually, the, I believe the medical term for that is Italian American. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> probably, probably has a lot to do with it, right? Your whole family uh, can cook as far as I think that translates in Italian to Gavon, yeah, right? Exactly. Gavon. <laughs> if it's in front of me, yeah. I'm going to eat I'm it. I'm going to eat it, right? So essentially, what this did was it was able, I was able to uh compress like three meals a day like what normal people eat d d normally right into two or one giant meal and just eat myself like into to sleep right essentially <laughs> right Coma. because yeah, yeah i mean so like essentially like i started off it was like you know okay they go like 16 hours fasted don't have any calories don't eat anything you know and then um and then you could eat your first meal and then eat until you know 8 or 9 p.m it's not so much restricting calories it's more like restricting the time in which you eat right so you know i got to a point where you know i got to one o'clock and i was like hey after like a month or so it's one o'clock i'm not really hungry and i haven't eaten anything all day two o'clock i'm not hungry i could go longer three o'clock i could go longer and your uh, body progression your, it's, prog it's slow progression and your body adapts right and so now I could go to like, sometimes like if I work and I go to the gym after work and I come home, it might not be till like seven, eight o'clock at night and I haven't eaten anything all day and I'm not hungry. Like I'm not even thinking about food and I'm just eating because I know I have to eat. Right. So I'll go home and I'll eat. I've made a big bowl of like penne vodka with chicken, chicken parm and eating that. And as long as it's, you know, within two, th for me, right. Everyone's different, but for me, it's 2000, 2200 calories a day. 135 140 grams of protein a day and after that man it's like anything can be it could be anything 
right? So <laughs> it literally can. So like you said, you know, it's I, I have a chance to be a, a Gabon and eat <laughs> as much as I want. Uh, what I want, you know, if I want to have burgers, I'll make four burgers. Like if I want to, if I feel like uh, Big Macs, uh, you know, like I said, I'll make Big Macs. And, um, you know, there's a lot of science behind it, a lot of different testing, um, different studies. There's a whole lot of studies out there. And like, I have them all on my Instagram and my link tree. I have like a lot of studies uh, all linked that you can read for yourself and see all of these different things that it does. Um, I will say this in the, it's been decades that I've known you two. Anytime you got, uh, you're the same way I am where you just sink your teeth into something. Mm-hmm. It becomes absolute passion, like to the point of where, you know, whether it was age of empires or yeah. something like that, yeah. exactly, or anything like <laughs> whatever that. it was going to be. So, yeah. uh, I, I was very happy to bring you on too, to talk about that stuff too. So people can check this shit out yeah. on there as well. Yeah. So it's, essentially what it is, is like over the years, I've been talking about this and telling people, Hey, this is what I've been doing, you know, and it's been working for me and it's really easy. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, Oh, you know, you can't, you know, I can't, can't make it to one. I can't make it to one. It's really not that hard. You know, it might take like a week of being a little bit uncomfortable, but after a while, you get used to it and then it becomes fine because you're eating like two essentially two really big meals and you're satisfied whereas you hear people are like oh you got to eat four or five small little meals a day where you're eating only chicken and broccoli and you're you know you get tired <laughs> nobody likes to do that right, right? and they're always conflicting too cuz even just something as simple you were talking about doing sports in high school yeah. Lawrence Patrick over here a former wrestler uh from high school he was uh uh what were you 103 pounds of uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I- you were given what to cut weight? They used to give you this. This is how bad the science used to be on stuff that it's constantly evolving. What was a great way for you to to drink less water, Dad, to cut weight? Oh, they used to tell you when you were when you were sweating to take a salt pill. Uh, <laughs> and you would, you would, you would, at the end of practice after sweating your your pills just off, have more salt. Right, have some more salt. So uh, you know to. The idea was you just sweated out all of this salt, so That's, your body needs to replace this, the sodium. And you would I. The two times that I <laughs> followed the coach's instructions and, you know, have a have a, a salt tablet and I puked. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> your stomach is saying, hey, wait a minute. That's <laughs> yeah. not what I'm looking That's for what right looking now. For. Exactly. Yeah. I'll tell you what, y'all, I'll announce it at the end. I uh, I'm sort of want to catch you by surprise with it, but also this is going to be an ongoing thing, yeah. too. It's um, <laughs> I will say this, though. Um, and I want you to plug it more at the end, mm-hmm. if that's okay. I'm going to, people are, are reading the title of this episode. I'm like, why is he bringing on one of his friends who's working in the fitness background for an episode titled The History of Snake Oil? <laughs> Ant is not selling snake oil, motherfuckers, all right? <laughs> Ant, Ant's legit, doing good things. Looks great, too. I mean, you're always in good shape. Just probably, I would agree, it's the best shape you've been in. And um, I have uh, fallen back into chaos again. You guys know that. I gain and lose 70 pounds. Uh Kahuna, they tell me that the camera adds about 10 pounds. Is that true? Oh, I know this joke. Yeah. Yeah. The camera adds about 10 pounds, which means I've eaten four cameras. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to figure some stuff. (laughs) That explains a lot on my end. Okay. Uh, We're going to figure something out here, though. Eating the cameras? (laughs) (laughs) They're part of a nutritious balanced breakfast. So I will dive in on this one too, because Anne is also a, a well-learned history fella. All right, so we got a couple cool things over here, but uh, many Chinese Americans uh, kind of knew that um, you know they have. You've heard the term "ancient Chinese secret" before, right, Kahuna? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's legit. Uh, Chinese Americans are building the railroads in America around this time. Okay, for the story today, 
And it's a very, very rough nature, uh, the job itself, uh, the weather, obviously being out there in the Midwest and then working uh, just all sorts of crazy hours and constantly in motion and probably being treated, I would say, at least like second class citizens. Expendables. Oh, yeah. It's a, well, it was the Chinese and the Irish building on either side. And I right. do want to, if I could have just been a fly on the, the, the outhouse wall when, <laughs> when those two groups finally met up with each other. <laughs> so, um, but it's an interesting one here. So uh, in order to kind of keep up with the rigors of uh, the backbreaking nature of their labor, there was, in fact, an ancient Chinese secret. And yeah, the, the time frame is, uh, you know, the 1800s and the... Uh, the real biggie in American history is the, trans, the, the formation or the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad. Now, that was actually started in 1863, but there was a little fracas going on between the North and the South in 1863. So it really didn't get going until after the Civil War. But Now, that railroad identifies as both going east and west. Is that why it's trans? Right. It was, it was from coast to coast. That was the first time that we had a rail connection that you could go directly from you know, basically New York to California. Um, and in that time period, the 1800s, you had over 100,000 Chinese immigrants come to the United States seeking work. And, you know, they were um, bringing some of their uh, home folk remedies, if you will, from uh, from from China with them, obviously, that uh, any 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 of the immigrant waves were were coming over with uh, bringing home a little or bringing back a little uh, something that they left behind. Uh, so you have all these Chinese immigrants primarily working from the west coast, working east on the railroads, and then on the east coast you had a lot of uh, um, uh, veterans from the Civil War, Irish immigrants. So you know there was a whole immigrant wave that was now working from the east to the west and they were going to meet up somewhere in the middle and it, that was is that a, why they read from left to right because they can <laughs> is that a thing I, I don't know i don't know about that but uh I, you know one of these uh one of these uh ancient chinese secrets that you speak of was really a folk remedy that uh was brought over from china by these uh chinese immigrants that were working predominantly or, um from for the railroad so, and when you hear the term snake oil, we know it from coming from 2022 right now. What's the thing that pops into your head? There's no wrong answers. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, That's a lie, by the way. Kona, you're next on that question. No, I mean, it's, I know the answer. Yeah. Oh, uh, hey, I mean, from from what I'm I've been doing, you know, now with this, I see a lot of you know a lot of stuff online of of hey do do this for eight weeks and you'll look like this and a lot of people buy it and it's still know, pertinent and, and yeah it's very it's very very much still pertinent to today you know so snake oil especially the term snake oil salesman has the super negative connotation mm -hmm. but then actual snake oil that was being used by the chinese for like things like they would have arthritis or just uh, back pains this is a pre-advil kind of a world yeah, yeah. so apparently chinese water snakes um if you could actually get the oil from them had these medicinal properties that were legit. So there's some legitimacy to this. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're America. There's Everybody's always looking to make a buck, so it's going to have to change up a little bit. So the negative connotation that we now have for snake oil salesmen, I think the word salesman's the bad word. In there, actually. <laughs> really, really. Yeah. <laughs> Saying snake oil salesmen and salesmen are like, it's being repetitive. <laughs> well, they could take these, um, the, the, the Chinese medicinal properties here would take uh, Chinese water snakes and they, that had been used in China for centuries prior to their arrival in the United States 
to cure things like I said, arthritis, rheumatism, uh, skin bursitis, diseases, yeah. bursitis, boredom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, efficacy of the oil was actually from uh, large amounts of omega three fatty acids. So yeah. that, like that's like MCT oil that people drink. That's, and shit. Well, that's like when people take like like fish oil tablets every day mm -hmm. or krill oil. It's a, it's the same omega threes and DHA and all. It's the same exact thing. So this is actually, I, I read this, this was interesting. So the big thing, so my cousin Greg is big on fish right now. That's his mm -hmm. whole big kick. And it's salmon. Mm -hmm. That seems to be one of the, and he's going after it because of that for your, you know, your fish oil supplements and, you know, mm -hmm. omega-3 and all that shit. Um, these Chinese water snakes had like almost twice the amount that you can find in salmon. Wow. So it had to be pretty, I mean. <laughs> yeah. It had to be kind of gross. I don't know how they would take it either. So they put in a tincture or what? <laughs> my, I think it was an ointment type of a thing because they would take these uh, snakes and boil them up and whatever fat rose to the top of the boiling pot of water that was then uh, mixed in with uh, some other type of ointment or liniment type of a thing and it's a, it's a rub-on thing. It's not a not a drinking thing. It's a rub-on thing. Just picture I'm, some poor you know, after, after doing the research for the episode today, I'm really thinking about Getting me some Chinese water snakes and uh, taking care of these arthritic knees of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Might it's, be help. Uh, if it works, it works. You know Just don't I mean? buy it from a snake oil salesman. Yeah. The yeah. other Chinese secret, though, is opium. So we could get you on some painkillers if you want. Oh, combine the two. That yeah. would be. Uh, I actually have not heard any negative side effects about being on opium. <laughs> on opium, yeah. No. Never. <laughs> My knee hurts, but who yeah. gives a shit, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's how I'll know when he's hooked. Daddy, yeah. listening to Allison Chains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the Requiem for a Dream music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But again, so this oil is actually working when it's done properly by the right practitioners of the old school style way of doing the medicine here. Uh, and like you were saying, it's like taking a fish oil supplement, but very, very high doses. You could see why something like that would be easing the muscle and joint aches of the railroad workers. And again, also the other thing the Chinese were bringing over was opium. So that's a different way of uh, getting rid of your worries and concerns. But uh a patent is actually going to be made for a snake oil cure-all in England of all places back in 1712, but without any sort of an FDA or any other, you know governmental organizations. Who needs all those extra bells and whistles? Well, it's so weird because I understand – I think um, I think Anne will agree with me on this. I think actually all of us would agree because it's common – it seems to be common sense. We're going to show the, the need for the thing and then the thing outlives its usefulness. Like, oh, one of those. I had a friend uh, – I got a, a great friend of mine, uh, Chris Crescenzo. He has a show called uh, uh, Two Clouded Minds and he works for uh, uh, Jason Ellis, uh -huh. Ellis Mania. <laughs> and he hand makes small batch hot sauce. And I remember trying to give it to one of my friends and he goes, yeah, I don't, I don't touch any hot sauce that's not made. It needs to be through FDA. I'm not touching this hot – and I was like, dude, there's just – there's not much DMT in it. It's just <laughs> – it's within the legal limit. But <laughs> there's nothing so to be scared of. Yeah, I get why some people get nervous about that stuff. But uh, this patent is made in 1712. Um, and again, it's hard to ensure the legitimacy of the product though. And then obviously there's ways to skirt around the law and stuff like that too. Um, but it will go without saying the American spirit is an ingenu – uh, we're, we're very um, – how do I say this? Uh, I don't want to say chasing a buck. Make a buck. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, like the person we talked about. On the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll make a buck. I'll make a buck. <laughs> so, um, it goes without saying that people are going to be looking for shortcuts around this thing. So, yeah, let me just uh, – a, a bit of clarification oh, here, happens, if we will, sir. too, that uh, you, know, you said that this patent uh, started back in England in 1712, but 
um, I think a lot of the American listeners might be confusing with what might be a, a patent of royal favor. In other words, an English patent as opposed to the American Patent Office, which was um, an entirely different governmental agency. Patents of royal favor back in England meant that some royalty, whether it was a king or whoever, this, you are my official shoemaker, so you have the, the royal patent on making shoes or <laughs> silversmith oh. or, or a dressmaker or whatever the hell it might be. Um, so if you held uh, a, a patent of royal favor, that really just meant that, hey, I'm making the same shit that I make for the king or, or the queen or some other duke or whatever the whatever the thing might be. So, um, but a lot of the uh, English immigrants, and you know, let's let's face it, the country was started uh, predominantly in the thirteen original colonies. There was a lot of English guys in there that. Uh, you know that whole idea of uh, a royal patent was uh, favorable. That uh, we're going to do the same type of a thing. Now we get a revolutionary war going on. All of a sudden, we don't want anything to do with uh, English goods. We're going to be making our own. So enter what we're what Americans are now calling you know patent medicine. That you know, this could go to a pharmaceutical. This could go to a, as they say a shoemaker or whatever. But uh, you know, just because you're patented doesn't mean that it's going through the U.S. government patent office. No, so it's you patent asked, pending. Patent, <laughs> patent pending. Yeah, if you yeah. asked uh, Kahuna what a patent pending, uh, English patent pending was, his answer would probably be, I believe it's a bear that wears a raincoat. <laughs> yeah, that's Paddington. That's Paddington. Not Paddington. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was a good reference. Uh, I appreciate that one. <laughs> so, so it had very little to do with efficacy of like the royal patent. Right. It was just yeah, you was, made something right. for someone in the royal family. So you could you could start your own uh, and, and call it a patent medicine, and you could put whatever label you wanted on it that you know this is going to cure this this and yeah. this, but it's all bullshit. Yeah. Trainers <laughs> hate him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it almost sounds like an early form of sponsorship, more yeah. so than patents and stuff like that. Uh, endorsement for endorsement. sure. Endorsement. Yeah. yeah. There you endorsement. Go. In England, yeah, in England, kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Um, no, it's good to delineate in that too. I didn't understand it fully when I read it. So, <laughs> so these proprietary medicines and stuff are concoctions that were they were trademarked, but they were not necessarily patented from the U.S. Patent Office, kind of a thing, because uh, you would have to divulge what the hell is in it if it was going through the patent. Which, office. of course, comes in towards the end of the story. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. A, uh, again, this patent, if you will, that's since 1712 as well. So there's no United States yet, per se. Uh, very hard to ensure the legitimacy of the product. So if you if you knew a little bit, you could sell a bootleg version of the ancient Chinese secret. All you needed was maybe, you know, one of your uh, Oriental friends. That's the term back then, folks. Okay, or I'm not saying it now. But that was a, if you could get one of the uh, or the the celestials as they were. Oh my God, KP! What? Just keep digging the hole. I'm talking now. Al Swearinger told me to talk. From oh. There you go. Whoa. Um, <laughs> But it goes without saying, all you need to do is if you got – you could do a bootleg version of it. Now, maybe some people had some of the right ingredients. Sometimes it had none at all. But the sales pitch of a cure-all, like you know, Ant was just talking about earlier, 
uh, do this for eight weeks and you'll have washboard abs and people buy that shit to this day. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> Rub this I, on your tummy and watch it just go down in an instant. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I like see the, the ab things where it's just like a person shocking themselves yeah. on the couch. Like, oh, this is what <laughs> I've been missing. Yeah. Why go to the gym when you can just sit here and do this? Right. You know, I was watching Lethal Weapon <laughs> there and, and I noticed yeah. <laughs> when, uh, when they, they put um, the electric shockers onto Mel Gibson as they held him underneath the shower during the torture scene in Lethal Weapon 1, his abs were contorted in such a way that I realized his heart rate was probably through the roof. And I said, why not try that at home? Yeah. From the That's right. Why are you watching TV? <laughs> but again, you could have some of the right ingredients. You could have none of the right ingredients over here. But there would be a weird – the sell to be able to sell a cure-all, especially back then when people were dying of things that we didn't fully understand yet. You know what I mean? I actually wanted to look this up. I don't know when the first recorded cases of uh, American medicine kind of understanding cancer were coming through. Because also life expectancy is much shorter back then as well. Um, and the problem that you're having is people are not taking care of themselves hygienically. And then on top of that, uh, the medicine is a largely considered quack medicine, which isn't great either. But uh, Yeah, we used to think that uh, shoving a nail into somebody's ear was a tell-all mental health care, no? Oh, yeah. Or phrenology, that you could feel the bumps on someone's head and determine personality traits based off of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the only way you can do that is if it was Chris Benoit. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, even even in medical uh, practice, I mean, the, the, the doctors, many of them were ill-trained. They, they bought their uh, doctor's certification. Oh, that's the will. scariest so, thing we found out on the show, that if you just had money, you could buy like a, a lecture, like like an at-home tape on how to be a doctor. <laughs> right. Oh, hell no. And you, <laughs> and you didn't have to go through any kind of a practicum or anything. Just uh, It's early master class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, check out, uh, again, a little bit of a loser reception here, uh, the mad doctor, uh, Joseph Nash. Um, that one was pretty nuts too. He was essentially, uh, he just started arming his hospital with cannons and stuff like that. And he was <laughs> like, it, we're really, he also would take dead bodies and then do experiments on them and stuff like that. So early medicine's a little gross. Um, a little? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at the same time too, there was, they were, whatever doctors you did have, they were probably ill-trained and they were far and few between. And the time frame that we're talking about, the United States is going through this massive, uh, you know, migration west, uh, you know, exploring new territories and everything else. So now people and the stuff that normally would be, uh, you know, farm to table type of a thing is now going to the cities. The cities are overpopulated. Nobody's got uh, proper medical care if whatever was existing at the time. And now, hey, let's load the family up and we're going to go out west. We're going to be, you know, um, claiming our our 40 acres or whatever out west. And there's no doctors. So you're really relying on home remedies and uh, herbal herbal science and stuff that, uh, well, this is the way your grandmother used to do it. Uh, So this is is all you really had. You had no other way, but... Uh, you was totally self, uh, trying to be self-sufficient in whatever it is you're going to do. And that's with everything from, you know, food to uh, if somebody got sick. And like you were saying earlier, Kev. The cure is laudanum. Laudanum would make you not feel anything. So that was kind of, that was a, a, literally, that was also kind of a cure-all too, where it's like, uh, I'll take laudanum for that. Like, but it's cholera. Yeah, yeah, but you won't remember right. you have cholera. You ever right, seen, right. Uh, you ever You'll seen a feel million, better yeah. for sure. You ever seen A Million Ways to Die in the West? 
The, I have the Seth MacFarlane movie. I think that's one of his. I think that's a very underrated movie, but it has a great joke about medicine during this time. It's like I just went to the doctor because I had a, a cold. Oh, you need an ear nail, <laughs> 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 or you need a good donkey kicking. <laughs> well, if I had a time machine, I remember saying, if I had a time machine, um, I would go back to an 1800s dentist and just say my tooth hurt, and then come back with cocaine for the bachelor party. <laughs> <laughs> And then one of my buddies just pointed. He goes, "You could also just go to Patterson. It's yeah. that." <laughs> but, again, but if you're going to sell this, this is actually this would be a great gimmick. This kind of I saw you pulled up Soapy Smith earlier, Kahuna. Yes, another, I did. Another loser reception. One of our all time favorite guys, Soapy one Smith. Of, yep. He um, just to let you know, Ant, this guy Soapy Smith, the greatest con man of all time, I think, in American history. <laughs> he he opened a telegraph office uh, when there were no telegraph lines set oh. up. Wow. <laughs> and, and so he would charge you to send your telegraph out, but there's no line set up by the telegraph company. Yet. And then if um, if you didn't fall for it at first, he'd go into town and be like, hey, a telegram just came in for you. From And then somebody would be like, oh, well, what is it? Just give me a couple bucks. I'll give you the me- – they'd make up fake messages. He was incredible. Wow. A all-time great con man. But <laughs> – this would be something similar to what he would do because he would sell bars of soap with a prize in it, right? That would be their whole thing. Like, oh, and then somebody would win the prize out there in the crowd. So it's a great if, freaking if Kahuna and I were going to pull this fast one, and we're, we're in the Old West here. And by the way, the idea of a snake oil salesman is very common in Western movies and stuff. But this shit was also going on on the East Coast, man. This was uh, Rhode Island was falling through to this. Massachusetts was falling through. To, I'm sure there were people in the streets in New York trying to pull these moves. But – one of the more popular routines for snake oil was that a doctor would arrive in town. He'd be very well dressed and present himself as one of those sophisticated men of science. He would tell you about the great breakthroughs they've been making in modern medicine mm. and usually get like a crowd going up. And then he would offer up his cure-all for any and all afflictions. Uh, the modern science based off the ancient Orient mysticism was a very easy sell. Now, if the scammers were extra deviant, which Kahuna and I would be back in the day, yeah, 100%. They would, they'd pull this move. So. Dr. Kahuna's up there presenting everything to these people, right? He's got his nice bow tie on. He's got, you know, a suitcase full of his cure-all. Well-spoken. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then he going up there. And then uh, I'll be the plant in the crowd. And I'll sit there and be like, oh, I've, I, I've taken this very same supplement. And it's it, it cured this, blah, blah, blah. My arm used to not go above my head. And then I would just do that. Or, so, or I would claim to have another illness. Then you give me a taste of the snake oil. And then I'd start walking around like somebody just beat the bejesus out of me. And I'm sitting there having like a Pentecostal moment speaking tongues. <laughs> Throw away those crutches, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Get all, up and walk. All of a sudden, it's uh, yeah. uh, Kahuna gives me the I've got a golden ticket moment from Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Grandpa Joe's one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and it would work. You'd oh, it would 100% people. work. So you could claim to have this illness and now it's cured by the quote cure-all. And now they're going to sell all these bottles out to the good people here. But before the folks realized that they've pretty much been hoaxed into buying pretty much snake shit, um, for lack of a better term, the doctor and his partner, Kahuna and I, would be back on a stagecoach counting our money and heading to the next town. Pretty much. Yeah. Not uh, show your face in, in that town probably for a year. Yeah, well, we're not going to be back there anytime soon. Well, one of my all-time favorite movies is The Outlaw, Josie Wales, and they have the great thing, the recurring character of the snake oil salesman. You ever see that one, Ant? No. It's a good one, dude. It's a great Clint Eastwood movie. Um <laughs> But they have this snake oil salesman that's moving from town to town, and he's always trying to sell the – and he, every time that he like is trying to sell the elixir or whatever that he has, it's always like he just sees Josie Wales and he goes, oh, shit. Um, and I think he I told him – I think the line was – the original one was Josie Wales is packing like a deep lip of tobacco, and he's sitting there trying to sell it to him for the very first time before he knows who Josie Wales is. And uh guy's wearing a white suit, 
And he's just sitting there and he goes, sir, how about you? This magic elixir, it can cure all, it can do this. And Josie Wells spits tobacco on his white suit and goes, how's it on stains? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, That's yeah. Good. Uh, one of the all-time classics. And that was the thing with the patent medicines, though, that you could make any claim that you wanted to. Um, you know, entrepreneurs, if you want to call them that. I mean, you, you can just picture some of these guys on Shark Tank today. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, That's so great. Uh, uh, these entrepreneurs, if you will, and we want to be polite about them rather than calling them hucksters and charlatans, yeah. uh, began to bottle and sell old family recipes, you know, quote unquote, or the uh, magic oriental elixir or whatever. And... Uh, you know, you it, any drug could be sold on the open market. Any claim could be made. So there was nobody, there was no watchdog. There was nobody checking up on these. No guys better business sure, bureau. Right. Uh, <laughs> and many of these uh, things were, you know, you had all kinds of, uh, um, as I say, um, opiums, narcotics, uh, anything could be put in there. Alcohol, just straight alcohol. Yeah, I got a nice buzz off of. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Kahuna's cough medicine and, uh, you know, my cough went away because, uh, you know, what are you going to do when you're passed out from the, from the buzz from the cough medicine? <laughs> you didn't have to go to the drugstore and get the, uh, True. the codeine. Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's many scammers out there pulling the old proverbial fast one on the folks, but uh, this one guy's name, and Ann, you texted me about him when we first talked about the topic for the episode, mm -hmm. uh, Clark Stanley. Yep. Yeah, this is um, he's he's certainly the most colorful character out of all these guys here. What'd you know about him off the top of your head? I know you watch a lot of History Channel stuff too. Yeah, well, when when you said snake oil, it's the the Clark Stanley Clark Stanley snake oil, like one of the if not the original snake oil mm -hmm. known snake oil salesman, or similar to what you guys were talking about before, where you know the Chinese water snakes, you know they had some properties that could help people. But, uh, you know, Clark's good old Clark Stanley decided to mimic that, but wanted to use rattlesnakes instead of the Chinese oh, water no. snakes. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, let's just say it didn't go so well or didn't have anywhere near the same kind of properties that the, uh, the original did. And the reason that he made that shift, I always thought this was interesting. So to get away from Chinese water snakes, which are probably harder to come by out west. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. from Texas. <laughs> not too many, uh, yeah, not too many Chinese water snakes in Texas. But, but if I just switch it with a rattlesnake. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was from Texas. That part's true. He was born in 1854. And um, I'll tell you what, Kuna, this is kind of why uh, uh, th this makes a lot of sense. So if the ancient Chinese secret, if you will, mm -hmm. is the water snakes right there, they're steeped in this mysticism that people are kind of, especially, you know, uh, European American immigrants are kind of. Uh, they're kind of legendary. It's definitely got a uh, an appeal to it because we don't fully understand it. It's not, you're not integrating, but we're not exactly the melting pot just yet. No. So they're interesting. But you know who else is interesting and steeped in mysticism and all over Texas? Oh, God. The Native Americans. Oh, so, there we go. <laughs> so this is pretty wild here. Uh, Clark Stanley will claim that after working for 11 years as a cowboy, so he's an old rough out west kind of a guy from Texas, he begins to study the medicine practices of the majestic Hopi Indians. Uh, he would claim that a Hopi medicine man had shown him the secrets of the rattlesnake oil. And with the help of a druggist all the way back on the East Coast, that's how you know this is big business at the end of the day. You're so when I got into sales for a hot minute, they told me, like, it's all about the story. If you can have a good backstory, <laughs> you can get into this. So he's like, so it was 
<laughs> I'll say what it was. It was Ross Brewing. <laughs> right. So it was Ross Brewing, which still makes great beers, by the way. But the f- owner's name is John Ross Cacosa. And he goes, but he wanted to get into all the Irish bars. So he called himself John Ross, which was also another name he went by. So he wasn't lying. But he goes, it's Ross Brewing. Because if you showed up at an Irish bar with, uh, uh, we have Cacosa Brewing here. He's like, I got Peroni. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So it's all about having the good backstory over here. So now you got this cowboy from out in Texas who's telling people that he has learned the secrets of the Hopi Indians. A Hopi Indian medicine man has taught him how to get this medicinal quality out of rattlesnake skins. And by the way, he appears at medicine shows and stuff like that. Again, this is how I, I'm so happy medicine is more prim and proper now yeah. because back in the day it was kind of like a little bit of a carnival act. You know? <laughs> yeah. He would show up on stage with the rattlesnakes. Like, like he'd bring rattlesnakes with him. It was a little bit of a uh, – it was very Jake the Snake Roberts, yeah. WWE yeah. kind of. Oh, good Lord. His his big uh, crowning moment, if you will, he's at the uh, 1893 Columbian Exposition in Chicago, which was a huge, <laughs> huge show. I looked it up. I couldn't prove it, but I very much wanted that to be the same World's Fair that um, – H.H. Holmes was abducting people at? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. So uh, people are coming from all over the world from far and wide to see uh, all the latest and greatest in, uh, you know, in technology and everything else at this Columbian Exposition in in Chicago. Well, this is where he really made his, uh, his shining moment and stuff. He's dressed in cowboy gear. So he's got all the, all the spangles and, and banners and, you know, he's got all the, all the entrapments of this uh, frontiersman uh, fashion. And he comes up on stage and he's got this big bag, this like sack. And he reaches into the, into the, into the, yeah, he reaches into the sack and pulls out a live rattlesnake. And, you know, he's waving that sucker around and just throws it in the audience. And of course, uh, everybody that's gathering around is getting some oohs and ahs out of that, you know, with a rattlesnake, especially if you're, uh, you know, some uh, city dude that never saw a rattlesnake mm-hmm. before. All you know is that sucker can kill you, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, he's waving this thing around. He he takes out his knife and he slices this thing open and then drops the snake into this already boiling vat of water. And whatever comes bubbling <laughs> up from from the uh, boiling water, that is the uh, the magic elixir. That's the that's the secret sauce <laughs> to uh, Mister Stanley's. Uh, um, <sighs> Um, you know, snake oil medicine. Uh, and they said to, they said the crowd just went freaking nuts because he's making all these claims. And you, you, you're right, Kev, he's putting in the backstory about the Hopi Indians and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and he's scooping the stuff out of this vat and putting it into the, the uh, jars that already had you know, secret herbs and spices <laughs> in there along Proper with it. Proper game of flim flam. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's making a big show out of it and, and the show sells and he, you know, he, the crowd just goes crazy on this. He can't, he can't be making this stuff fast enough. H.H. H. H. Holmes is like, wow, I don't think I can use that in my practice, but that's some it, crazy shit. Will this cure my sociopath yeah. tendency? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he makes the big splash and, you know, he... Uh, is the hit of the of the whole exposition with uh, with this uh, snake oil, and then there's many imitators. If, if somebody's making a buck on something, what's going to happen? You're going to be imitated, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that's where this whole snake oil um, um, salesman kind of takes on the whole connotation. And big guys are all over the world are now trying to 
sell their own version of the, oh, of the secret sauce. Now, he's the king shit because like Ant was saying too, the most prominent, well-known guy. Uh, he was also known as the Rattlesnake King because of this. Yeah, it, what was interesting, he's the self-proclaimed Rattlesnake King. Um, well, did anyone ever call, what was, I don't want to, I'm going to screw his name up, uh, but the Tiger King. Oh. Um, did anyone ever call him that or did he just crown uh, himself that? He crowned himself as a snake oil salesman? No, no, as, as the Tiger King. Did anyone ever? Joe Exotic. Joe, Joe Exotic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! I thought it was design. funny though too. I mean, he's proclaiming himself as the rattlesnake king. Um, years later, it turned out that the rattlesnake is not comparable to the Chinese water snake. That the Chinese water snake did indeed have a high concentration of these was it omega three yeah, omega three fatty acids that did have some legitimate um, you know curative nature to. Mm -hmm. uh, arthritis and bursitis and some of these other elements that rattlesnakes not so much no. that you're better off eating a, a salmon yeah. than you would be eating a rattlesnake yeah. <laughs> but i think salmon king yeah. rattlesnake king i don't know yeah. which, what are you going to go with <laughs> yeah. if you're trying to push it right yeah. the salmon king <laughs> not a great movie it sure um, gets an a for showmanship yeah oh through the roof yeah. that that's 90 percent of it here too man and by the way, the big bucks are coming in for him here a little bit, too. They will have production facilities built in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. So now this rootin' tootin' cowboy from Texas. Has is factories? He's going to have factories. Yeah, because he works with the Building the snake oil? Oh, yeah. They're going to start making mass quantities of the snake oil because, again, you can't sell this shit fast enough. He's a hit over in Chicago right now. And if you're a hit in Chicago, you're going to be a hit in a lot of other major cities. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they say that the only people that ever really got any uh, um, rattlesnake in there snake oil was probably the people that were standing in front of him at the Chicago Exposition <laughs> because after that, not so much. Well, uh, he's got, by the way, he kind of looks like Joe Weber, which is a little inside baseball yeah, here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no way. But you guys all know because everybody was at the show that was the host, <laughs> the host of uh, comics, cartoons and craft beer. <laughs> um, oh, my God. So he does look like that a little bit. But again, these factories are being built now. And this is kind of important, too. This is a, a little bit of the crux of the story here. And this is where I'm excited because we get to bring in one of the all-time great characters uh, of the show. Um, so these production facilities, they're not really doing a great job. A lot of unsanitary practices in the meatpacking and a lot of very unregulated food preservatives. Um, like ketchup's not actually red. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. It, it, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's goofy stuff here. But um, anyway, people are often getting sick and dying from improper food storage and improper food handling. Uh, and again, things like uh, gross-ass things are being used as preservatives just to keep food fresh or appearing fresh in order to be sold. Um, one of those ingredients, by the way, formaldehyde. Yeah, well, that's nothing wrong with that, right? Am I right on this? I feel like I'm <laughs> right. Formaldehyde is what they use to pump into dead bodies to keep yeah, the body embalming. You know, it's so you part of your embalming fluid. Ugh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we can all, you can either preserve your you know grandmother for another couple of weeks so that, you know, <laughs> or, or we can keep those tomatoes fresh in a jar. So. Going back again to the times, um, fresh food, uh, you have no refrigeration. So if you want, if you want to have steak for dinner, yeah. you're going to go out to the guy in the street with his push cart and buy a, a hunk of a hunk of meat off the guy on the push cart and all your, your fruits your vegetables milk i yeah. mean milk, uh, milk was big time uh, uh problematic that you know they're putting whatever chalk um whatever you want to put into <laughs> yeah. water just to make it look like milk and uh you know we'll, we'll call it a day or whatever you can 
put, put whatever into already spoiled milk to uh, try to make a buck. And, and food tasted like such shit back then that that's why uh, Heinz ketchup took off because he's like, oh, you know that how food's awful? What if we put something on top, on top of, of it? it? Right. <laughs> Anything to disguise the taste of it. Yeah. And that was uh, – you said it about Heinz too that one of his big uh, marketing ploys was that his ingredients were so fresh and wholesome that he's putting his ketchup – in clear glass bottles so people could see the purity of his product through the clear glass rather than putting it into something you can't see what's inside until you get it home and you dump it out onto your already spoiled beef and now you're whatever you're trying to disguise the flavor with is and eh, that's spoiled too but now i don't know if i have a false memory of this whether it happened to me or someone explained it to me or i saw a picture of it i, I can't remember it's one of those uh gray area ambient moments but uh <laughs> Rattlesnake tequila is a thing. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. Is it the brand rattlesnake or tequila made from rattlesnakes? It was, I don't think uh, that's a thing. Well, there, <laughs> there, <laughs> there is a tequila wrong. that has a worm in the bottom of it. Maybe that's what you're. But uh, there's also, I've seen a, not a live rattlesnake, obviously, but a rattlesnake that was inside of a, a thing of tequila. And they put, this could be a total false memory of mine here, but I also have had some weird nights in my yeah. life. Could be the anchovy pizza that you had before you went to bed, too. Oh, God. Yeah, that'll do it. The, but it's uh, it's pretty trippy, some of the stuff they're able to come up with over here. And again, people are getting sick because their food is making them sick. Okay. And they're getting no help from most medicines because a lot of the medicine is bullshit because a lot of it's not regulated. Mm -hmm. uh, and these people are literally thinking, well, the snake oil will cure me, that kind of a thing. So now... It's fine if you're selling them a product that doesn't work. It's like selling penny stocks, like Wolf of Wall Street shit, mm -hmm. yeah. until people are losing their entire fortunes by going all in on it, or like sports betting, anything crazy like that. Until people are really being harmed and put in bad places because of it. It's uh, you know, when you're when you're coming after the people here. So again, Americans are getting sick from the food. The medicine's not exactly helping them. Americans are sick, Kahuna. Okay, they're sick people right now. They need a hero. The people are crying out for a champion, Kahuna. They need chaos personified. His name is Vengeance, but know we know him simply. Batman? That's Christian Cordez? Teddy <laughs> motherfucking <laughs> Rose. Rose. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Enter so, TR. It's the boy! <laughs> Enter TR. Go. The recurring theme on the show, too, Ant, is that we realize that whatever TR sets his mind to just kind of happens. Yeah. So the running mantra of the show is don't fuck with TR. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Everybody who ever tried that guy lost. He has that reputation. Uh, it's um. It's, I also saw one of those great political maps uh, where it shows the the left right authoritarian um, uh, uh, anarchist type, mm -hmm. and then so it would show where all the presidents are, and then there was one of Teddy Roosevelt, and it was just his face in all four quadrants because he did whatever the fuck he wanted. Whatever he wanted. <laughs> um, but the current president of the United States at the time is outraged to learn of businesses' bad practices combined with the horrifying details provided by a very, very famous book uh, written by Upton Sinclair called The Jungle, which was like muckraking journalism type stuff. Did you have anything on that, LP? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Upton I Sinclair <laughs> Upton Sinclair is uh, – he's an author. Um, he is part of what is going to become known as the muckrakers which was actually a name that uh, was pretty much coined by Teddy M.F. Uh, Roosevelt, that uh, in a speech that Roosevelt gave, he is going back to a, uh, a reference 
to a previous book that was back in 1678, a long time ago, called Pilgrim's Progress. And there was somebody in that book that was uh, raking the muck, that his job was constantly be raking the shit across the floor or whatever. And he was so tunnel visioned on that, that the only thing he saw was the muck. Initially, TR was not a real champion uh, of, of this kind of a thing. He's thinking a lot of these authors who are writing about all the harms that are in society today were really just, you know, stirring the pot and stirring things up. Um, but and Upton Sinclair's big book, The, the Jungle, became a, uh, you know, a, uh, a popular seller, a very popular book. And by the way, that name just went away. Do you know any other Uptons? It's kind of become a last name. My, that's, yeah. my, <laughs> my firstborn shall be known yeah. as Upton. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That name went away pretty fast, but he writes the jungle, which is the, he the writes huge, the jungle, seminal which work, is really a novel. And Upton Sinclair, he is a muckraker, but he's more of a socialist too, that he's, Trying to uh, you know do away with society's harms on on the on the little guy, and at this time period too, I mean you're you've got your absolutely filthy rich, you, your Rockefellers, your mm-hmm. um, your J.P. Morgans, mm-hmm. and, and all of these Christian guys, Cordes. and then you, <laughs> Christian Cordes, and then you have uh, I think he did that in the entertainment business, right? Filming That's my stuff. understanding. Yeah, yes, right. That's a- but. Uh, you also have the absolute destitute poor, the the immigrant, uh, you know, all of these immigrants coming over. Pretty much that, a pre-middle class America. Yeah, right. That there was uh, polar opposites. That you got the uh, the cities are filled with the slums of these immigrants that are barely surviving under absolutely horrid conditions. And Upton Sinclair writes this book, The Jungle. Um, with the idea that he's going to shine a light on the uh, the poor immigrants, um, but the book is based on the meatpacking industry, and within this no jokes, Kahuna. <laughs> Put a shut up. On his face. I, no, I saw him starting. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he so he shines a light on it. Again, this is a novel, so initially uh, TR is thinking, "Oh, this is just this is just fictionalized stuff." But then TR sends in um, some of these uh, investigators to do some snooping around, and they come back with like <laughs> Sinclair um, really didn't go far enough with some of the conditions that are within the meatpacking industry. You know, morgue meat. You know, the animal had already died, but hey, it's still it's still beef. So yeah. cut it up and sell it. Somebody will buy it or gr- grind it up. You know, the, we uh, we caught some rats. Well, grind them up and throw them in with the sausage or whatever the whatever the case might be. But there was there was no government agency that was really checking on any of this. Absolutely horrendous conditions, and the guys, the the men that were working within the uh, the slaughterhouses and stuff. Uh, horrendous conditions that they were working on. So you got you got somebody working the line uh, carving up the beef that might have tuberculosis and he's coughing and spitting on the on the meat, <laughs> on the meat and everything else. So Down you know uh when the public gets wind of uh of this by reading this book The Jungle, uh there's a public outcry about, you know, something's gotta be done and then T R sends in these guys to uh 
to check things out on his own accord and rather than just relying on uh, Sinclair's uh, authorship, if you will. And there's yeah, a really great quote really by bad. Upton Sinclair too about the book where he said um, he was aiming with the novel to hit Americans in their heart, but instead it was more effective when he hit them in their stomach. Because right. now people are like, hang on, <laughs> what, what the fuck did I just eat? What are yeah. you talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there was there was uh, nothing, nobody really controlling any of this. And and a lot, even with the, with the patent medicines and everything else, um, whether it was food or medicine, whatever the case might be, you could make any claim you wanted to. And you know, people would just accept it. So um, if you wrote on the label that it's harmless, Hey, it must be harmless because, you know, so. it's got to be true. I saw it on the internet. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> Did Abe Lincoln say that? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, cocaine became big business that uh, some of the stuff was in there and uh, cocaine was uh, like this wonder drug that was going to cure everything from migraines to muscle aches to fatigue from post-surgery pain is it still um, not yeah <laughs> it's, it still has that effect but uh, i don't want to little... butcher the joke but my my buddy mike cannon just put out a great special too called uh white privilege homeless or something like that but uh the line he had was um when i bought cocaine in college they told me it was going to be a sexy time it was going to make me a sexy person he goes never had a sexy time on cocaine but i have told a lot of stories <laughs> 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 Yeah, but I mean, uh, again, there was no truth in advertising or truth in labeling. And, you know, the, the people are just being hoodwinked. Um, and when you're starting to kill people and then you're starting to kill kids, that's when people started getting a little upset with this. And, um, uh, you know, there was concoctions, uh, Mrs. Wilson's soothing syrup. Um, so, you know, it's a mother's, mother's helper kind of a thing. Your kid's got whooping cough or something like that. What are you going to give them? Well, give them some of Mrs. Wilson's soothing syrup, which is morphine and alcohol. Is that like the brandy you give like a teething baby? Yeah, That's right. there, you <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Um, there was a uh, Dr. Miller's, uh, anodyne for babies, which was basically, uh, morphine and chloral hydrate. Nice. Oh, wow. Uh, Dr. Moffat's teething powder, right? Yeah. You're, you're talking brandy on the yeah. on the kid that's yeah. uh, getting some teething pain. Well, that was really nothing more than a little opium in, in there to uh, oh. help soothe the kid. <laughs> oh, Lord. So you're giving that to a kid who's cutting his teeth yeah. for the first time. Um, so you yeah. know, he seems what? to always have teeth aches right before a concert. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, the milk is contaminated. Uh, fruits and vegetables are rotten. Uh, your meat, you can't be. You know, that's totally suspect as well. Uh, just scrape the green off of there and you'll be all right. You know, that, uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, and then there's some pretty famous, uh, pretty famous people that are making a buck on this because, again, it's not regulated. And there was a lot of it was ignorance because they didn't know any better at, at the time. But, uh, you know, you've heard of uh, bear aspirin. Uh, mm-hmm. How about bear heroin? What? <laughs> Same company that makes bear aspirin was also Make selling bear, bear <laughs> heroin. It's the brand name bear heroin. was making their own version of, of heroin. Yeah. How long was that on the market for? Uh, <laughs> for a little while. Yeah. For to be a clear, little while. Like, like bear aspirin, he's saying, not bear. B-E-A-R. No, just picturing Winnie the Pooh saying, oh, bother. Eeyore stopped by with something. Yeah, a simple bit of opium would have done very well. Thank you very much. There was a pretty famous guy that you might have heard of, and 
back in the 1863, uh, Dr. John Smith Pemberton. 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 Mm-hmm. Not, not the uh, not the uh, uh, security guys. No, that's, that's Pinkerton. Pinkerton. Correct. Yeah. Pemberton. Well, Pemberton's going to – now, yeah, I don't want to give it away. He's a, he's a pharmacist. Uh, he's also a morphine addict himself from an injury that he suffered during the Civil War. Confederate soldier too. But he mixes up this little stuff uh, – um, in a, a secret, you know, secret formula, his own secret sauce with a sugar syrup, and uh, his uh, new product is debuted in 1886, and uh, he's calling it Coca-Cola, and it's got a little that's right, co- Coca-Cola, <laughs> cocaine in it. Coca-Cola is full of drugs and invented by the Confederacy. Yeah. That's why it's not nearly as good anymore. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, that's why Kahuna only endorses Pepsi. (laughs) Pepsi, we didn't fight for slavery. (laughs) (laughs) I have the original formula, please. And Pemberton, by the way, too, such a bad morphine addict that um, I believe he doesn't even have – I think he sold away all the patents for Coca-Cola. Um, just to like get money that he was short on and to keep kind of using. Yeah. And, and I think he. Yeah. He gave yeah. away the, the formula. Um, didn't really make any money on the formula. Mm. That was, that was by the guy who bought out the formula. But uh, by 1903 though, cocaine was removed from the drink. And what was interesting though, Coca-Cola was um, bought up on charges by the federal government, but not because of the cocaine that was in there because they had the high doses of caffeine, but that was a, that's another. That was another uh, another episode. So we didn't have. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, crank or anything like that at that point. Just uh, yet. Yeah, just yet. So we're the, working uh, on that. So the the, the term muckraking too. It's like it it has this general like I guess negative connotation. Like you said, like pot stir. But really, like what it is is just like investigative journalism. Right. right? Exactly. That, that's all it is. That's totally. exactly yeah, where muckrakers yeah. went to. Is we now would call them an investigative. Uh, uh, reporter that, yeah. that he's he's digging in there. He might be going in in secret, going into some uh, mental health facility mm-hmm. or an insane asylum, yeah, as it was called recording. back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and, and doing that kind of reporting. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and the the, uh, the conditions in the in the mines or the steel fact mm-hmm. steel mills or uh, the meatpacking industry. So whatever. It was rough uh, rough days, rough times over there. Rough times, absolutely rough times. I will say this and interrupt if you have anything else you have uh, LP because we're going to start to wrap this bad boy up. Okay. Ant has uh, 1,100 calories to eat. He hasn't eaten. In- <laughs> oh. <laughs> Is it that many? It's a- <laughs> <laughs> um, so on June 30th, 1906, Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt will sign into law the Pure Food and Drug Act. And this act will give the federal government the power to regulate and ensure that the unsanitary practices and corner cutting will no longer be tolerated by a lot of these manufacturers and stuff. He's more of a Pepsi guy anyway. Well, that's also (laughs) true. Here's the whole thing too, where, and this is where people get so weird about that. Like you want, you hear Teddy Roosevelt's a Republican. You're like, oh, I thought he would want to, you know, have limited government. That seems to be, but he also was like, well, we have to have some government because we can't trust big business to go full on crazy on. So he's like the ebbs and flow. He really is. He's kind of his own human being. There really is just no way to box <laughs> that guy. Um, but He's anyway, pragmatic for the top first time though. Like he- oh, totally expanded um, the 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 powers of the executive branch beyond almost anybody. <laughs> he is the poster child to what became known as the Progressive Era. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, Teddy came into the presidency and. Every, although he was a Republican and everybody felt that he was going – and he comes from wealth. He came from a very wealthy family that 
uh, everybody felt that he was going to protect the interest of big business because at this point in time, big business is running the country. Mm -hmm. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about it between the railroads and the Rockefellers with his standard oil and everything else. Um, But he, he, uh, kind of does a 180 and now is protecting the American, the little guy. He's protecting those, uh, well, most most of the little guys. <laughs> Anyhow, there was, still great, some, great there was still story. some left outs, but... Uh, There's um, a pretty amazing story about Teddy. Just, this one cracks me the fuck up about his relationship with big business because he is the trust buster. He's got mm-hmm. all that stuff going on too. Um, but one of my favorite things I've ever heard was as they kind of accepted the fact that the Native Americans, the Wild West was dying as people are moving into California in mass numbers now. They needed to put, because he was such an outdoorsman, he wanted to make sure that somebody did the definitive work on preserving, like, let's get people out there with cameras. Let's get uh, uh, good journals written about what the natives were like. Let's learn the customs. Let's get them involved with it. We want to preserve them so we have an accurate representation of them in American history. And he brought a guy in that was going to go out and do the project. It was like uh, a huge government thing. He's having meetings with the president about this. And uh, Roosevelt's like, all right, what's your budget for this? And the guy goes, well, it's going to be a couple years worth of work. I would need all these cameras. I would need this much money in order to get around to all these areas. I would need a crew. I need... And he goes, all right, cool. And uh, he's like, all right, how much money can you give me, Mr. President? He goes, oh, I'm not paying for this. Uh, hang on real quick. Uh, and he goes over and they get a freaking <laughs> – I can't believe I'm blanking it. Uh, they get J.P. Morgan on the phone and pretty much tell him, like, hey, Morgan, uh, real quick, need a check. And then he, like, looks up the guy and goes, how much do you need it for? And J.P. Morgan's like, I'm not paying for that. He goes, if you don't pay for it, I'm going to come over there and deregulate the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and pretty much under threat of uh, the president being pissed off at you, you wind up getting the greatest documentation about Native Americans. In the world. So he's he's – I don't know. He's TR, man. He's a little bit <laughs> – he's hard to figure out. Now, of course, I said 1906. That's when the Pure Food and, uh, Food and Drug Act comes in. And unfortunately, um, while that does work and there is some stuff, it does take a while for a government program to get into effect. Um, coincidentally, though, around this time frame too, the frontier folks and people out west, they're no longer really falling for the old snake oil salesman stuff. There's still some money in quack medicine. And like I said, it takes about 10 years for TR's legislation to catch up with the rattlesnake king himself. Okay, But eventually they do get him, and it's by the Bureau of Chemistry which I didn't realize this, the Bureau of Chemistry, which I'd never heard of before, later becomes the FDA. So the, <laughs> so the FDA, they send a scientist down there from the Bureau of Chemistry to uh, do tests on some of Clark Stanley's famous rattlesnake oil liniment. And uh, just like Ant kind of said, really no, no good qualities in this one here. They found the following ingredients, mineral oil, turpentine, beef fat or tallow, like imagine just put imagine cooking ground beef and just pouring the frying pan and none of the beef in. Right, the, <laughs> the grease that comes off. Hey, rub this on your knees. <laughs> uh, capsaicin or capsaicin, whatever it is, which is um, uh, from the, the chili peppers, mm-hmm. which I know about because um, uh, oleo resin capsicum is what they uh, put in mace whenever I got maced oh, in the navy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then also because nothing's complete without a, a strong smelling wax called camphor. Yeah, that was the ingredients. So essentially, rattlesnake oil liminal was it was just oil and hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In, in name only. Yeah, rattlesnake oil. I put that shit on everything. <laughs> Frank's red hot snake oil. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the testing concluded that the snake oil was number one, extremely overpriced, and number two, pretty much fucking useless. Yeah. So, ancient Chinese secret, some use. 
Rattlesnake oil, not so much. Do you think he could have gotten away with it if he just changed the font size? Like, if the information was still on the, the thing, but it was just so tiny. You just he, didn't call it. You just, did, you just didn't see it. Just knowing Kahuna as well as we know him, too, though, is that, uh, <laughs> by the way, printing ingredients on the side of a bottle, that's also part of the Pure Food and Drug Act. Oh, that's really? Like, oh, definitely. Okay. Um, and then another thing, that was also the people like Heinz who were proud of their project, uh, that pr- had pride in their product. There it is. All right. Uh, we landed that one. Um they would show you the ingredients because that was their way of saying like, and we're not like those other assholes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know I could so. fix that, by the way, KP. Just some nice old-fashioned heroin. That's, yeah. a- <laughs> That's it. Uh, give me a Coca-Cola. We'll finish the show really quick. Yeah. <laughs> Do a little horse. You'll be all right. <laughs> so the testing concluded, like we said, that the snake oil liniment made famous by the Rattlesnake King, overpriced, relatively useless, and Clark Stanley will plead no contest against charges of fraud. And he is fined $20. What? At the time, adjusted for inflation, okay, uh, it would be four hundred ninety-eight dollars today. Yeah. yeah, just under five hundred bucks yep. by today's money. Hefty. So, did he? Cl- how? What? <laughs> that kind of. Nah, justice was served. We got the son of a bitch for $20, which by the way, folks, if you want to join and support the Patreon in the show <laughs> for just as little as $3 a month, all right, uh, we're not a snake oil podcast, okay? We actually have some content in here that's good for you. Um, LP, anything you want to say in the way out? Because I want to throw back to Ant because I want to wrap up with something. I got something cool I want to throw at Ant and see what we, where we're No, at. it was just that, you know, with, uh, with um, Sinclair's um, articles coming out or his book coming out, The Jungle, and there were other um, influential people in that whole thing. Um, it just led to this whole Pure Food and Drug Act and the labeling became part of it. And you'd have to list your ingredients and you had to make sure that certain ingredients weren't in there like uh, like opium, like uh, heroin, like that, you know, that type of a thing. You couldn't, you couldn't be putting that stuff into your thing without listing it on, on the label. Um, so people would you know, if you're putting harmless on the label, then maybe not so much. I mean, I read that about the harmless. As long as harmless was on the label, people felt that it was harmless when it might be, uh, you know, totally addictive. Um, you know, it's all natural. That's the labeling. That's the, the labeling catchphrase that we have today, right? It's a similar organic argument for organic, uh, <laughs> all natural, uh, free range, yeah, uh, free yeah. range chickens. Uh, yeah. yeah, they get a little bigger space to no run around. No different. Pay three dollars more. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Half the battle there. Organic yeah. bananas opposed to non-organic bananas. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. a it's a goofy one on that one, man. So, uh, and I'm going to throw this one to you here, real quick, dude. So. Um, Again, we've heard the uh, the three square meals a day thing, even breakfast, because mm-hmm. I noticed on your thing, you always write breakfast is a bad idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mind your business. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious, though, because um, breakfast and the American idea of breakfast comes from, as we covered on uh, episode of this show, Lose Reception, Edward Bernays or Bernays, mm-hmm. however, that Americans weren't having breakfast originally because nobody had the time. Everybody started work so early and shit like that. So then they created this idea, eggs, bacon, the American breakfast. You're supposed to be having breakfast. All of a sudden, everybody's having mm-hmm. breakfast because they're like, oh, I'm not, what are we not? We're not going to be weird and not have breakfast or something. But so again, then there was the idea of three square meals a day had to be the thing. Mm-hmm. Then you had supermodels and all these people saying five small meals or whatever. Mm-hmm. That works for Elle McPherson. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. People who have a lot of time on their hands. Ex- also true. Meal prep and cook <laughs> right. small meals. That's what kills. I think so many people. 
not having the time to to sit down and do something the right. So when you're talking about making one or two meals a day, mm-hmm. um, like do you actually food prep uh, like throughout the week or what? Yeah, you, no, no. So <laughs> he puts uh, literally he puts pictures of the food up there too, and you're like, holy yeah. shit, you can eat a cheesesteak. Yeah, this diet? exactly. <laughs> I'll make my I'll make my like because if I'm eating you know one meal or two meals, whatever whatever you know it kind of is that day. It's not really a, a plan. Um, it's more like I think about okay, you know, what do I feel like today? And I'll make like I said, I'll make six cheesesteaks and i'll you know yeah i'll i'll see the way technology is now where like 15 20 years ago you would have to like you know think about oh let me weigh this and let me do this and let me write this in a little notepad you just download my fitness pal on your on your phone and it's got a barcode scanner and you literally just scan the barcode of whatever it is you're eating how much are you eating and you put it in and it gives you everything for you so Essentially, nah, it, it makes life so easy where like if I want to have like cheesesteaks, I'll go to the, to the food store. I'll buy a couple, you know, sub rolls. I'll buy like either some kind of steak or I'll buy they, they make like those steakums, you know, mm-hmm. like like the, the, the frozen one. You know a little bit about that right yeah, there. Yeah. I've, and, I've, and, I've been known and that I'll eat the whole, or two. And I'll eat the whole package and I'll scan mm-hmm. it and I'll just put the whole package in and it'll total up to however many calories. And I can't, of course, everybody's different based on your activity level, based on, you know all this other stuff, you know, your height, your weight, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I could eat six cheesesteaks and still have room for ice cream later and eat that. Like it, it doesn't matter what it is. Like a lot of people are also concerned about like, Oh, let me switch to whole grain. Let me stay away from white bread. Let me stay away from pasta. It doesn't matter. Like (laughs) it really doesn't. Like I've been eating pasta for the last four or five years and it doesn't affect me either. Not whole wheat pasta, not, uh, whatever these other lentil pasta or whatever these things that they come out with that isn't real cauliflower. pasta. Yeah, cauliflower <laughs> pasta, cauliflower rice. If I want to have rice, I'll have rice. It doesn't matter. Your body processes it the same. It doesn't say, oh, that's whole wheat. Let me do something different. Let me, you know what I mean? Like it just, it, it overcomplicates things for people. So essentially like what the the whole thing I do is it's for exactly for people who always, a lot of people, let's face it, people don't have time to meal prep, people to, uh, to do like, nobody wants to live out of Tupperware eating, you know, carrying this to work, carrying that to work, eating in the car, blah, blah, blah. Like if you have your lunch, you could eat your lunch, one o'clock, 1 p.m., have your first meal, right? Eat a nice large meal where you're satisfied, you know, it's probably 1,000, 1,200 calories. And then for dinner, have another really big feast, 1,200 to 1,500 calories. You're at like 2,000, 2,500 calories a day. Boom. Like it's really, it's, 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 it, it's, it seems like, like when it's actually on a plate in front of you, you don't realize how much you actually eat during the day <laughs> until it's sitting on a plate in front of you. And you're like, holy crap, that's actually a lot of food, you know? And then you're like, oh, you know, I can't get through this. Now, like I said, for me, I don't have a problem. I could sit down and I can eat a giant plate of food, no problem. And then just pass out afterwards. Some people, you know, maybe, maybe they can, maybe they have to eat three kind of meals within a window. But like I said, it has nothing to do with like restricting, like just skipping a meal. It's literally just restricting the time in which you eat. So even if you still want to eat three smaller meals within an eight hour window, you can go ahead and do that too. Like it's all, a lot of the benefits come from being fasted for 16 hours and then on. And then once you get past that 16 hours, they just get exponentially, you know, better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like a, a, a great analogy is what I, what I usually use when I tell people is that, look, Like when you eat food, think of your body as a freezer in a fridge, right? Our bodies are designed to utilize calories in a way which we need it now, right? If you go back through since since we evolved into what we've become, still the same organism that we've always been. 
So we eat food and then we use what we need and whatever we don't need, our body stores is fat, right? So we live in a, most of us live in a first world country. We have first world problems. Food is like unlimitedly accessible. So we yeah, over- Kahuna's struggling though because he, he, <laughs> we overeat. he loves baby formula. Yeah. And uh, he just can't get that's, it. That's <laughs> tough. He just can't get it, huh? We just want to dip into his reserve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's secret stash. He's huh? got Scrooge McDuck levels. Yeah. <laughs> Life is like a hurricane. So, Sorry, f- f- fridge and freezer. So fr- I love that. Yeah, You're making so, sense. So fridge and freezer, simple analogy for people to understand. When we eat, we put food in the fridge. Our body uses it for energy. Whatever we don't need, it goes in the freezer for later. Because as the, you know, back, you know, we all know from history, Food wasn't always easy to come by, right? Like, and then it was spoiled. It was bad. It was whatever. There were famines, things like that. Food might have. So our body, out of a pure survival, was like, let me store fat for energy. Well, essentially what happens is you just keep every, if you keep eating throughout the day, throughout the day, you're just, you're using what you need then. And you're just putting food in the freezer for later. Right. Well, you're never going to use what's in the freezer for later. <laughs> so by, by not eating for at least like, 14, 16, 18 hours a day, like not consuming any calories, you're essentially allowing your body to start using what's in the freezer for energy instead of just constantly stuffing your face with food. You hear that, Dad? Right. You filthy pig. (laughs) (laughs) My father with his rapid metabolism. (laughs) So essentially what I've done, right, like I was saying before the show, like I've been talking about this for a while and Mm -hmm. finally come January, I was like, you know what? I'm really passionate about this. I really like it. I really want to help other people do it. Uh, so I figured out a way to um, basically I got an app where on the app it, it, it syncs with my fitness pal. You get a workout from me. Um, I post I create a social media account, which everyone can find me. Tony D underscore fit. Uh, you know, I'm going to tag uh, that uh, in the, on the Instagram. Yeah. Right. Tony D underscore fit. I do at least one post every day. Um, it's slowly become more. I've become more like Mimi. Right. It's like Mimi, but with a message. And uh, it used to be like because I'm an information nerd, like I'm sure most of us like us are <laughs> with his loving history. So like I would post things like, hey, this is what happens. Here's a here's a study. And it didn't really hit as much as like, you know, something like me do it using a voiceover and saying something funny and like tying it into a message and then writing in the description. Like I spent a lot of time writing the descriptions because it's like uh, my first thought is always how does something work? Like, I want to know. And most people are like, just does it work? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know the yeah, details. I, I don't it's care a, yeah. how it works. Where like, I've always been like, when I first started researching this and started doing it, I was like, okay, this goes like, this is different from everything else I've ever tried. Different from everything else that everyone's ever told me. How does it work? So I started researching how does it work? And it made me want to try it. And then within trying it, I've found that it really does work and I've, you know, feel great and the best I've ever had. And, um, so essentially on Tony, Tony D underscore fit, you could find me there. Like I said, I have all of my, all of my research articles in my link tree. Um, you know, I have an application, uh, to sign up with me in my link tree. You could DM me with a question, right. Um, any kind of questions you have, anything you're interested in. Right. Um, but yeah, like I said, I post every day, different kinds of, you know, kind of Mimi, kind of voiceover messages. I also post recipes, me cooking, right? I'll cook my meal. I'll put up uh, how, how to make yourself eight cheesesteaks with the calories, with the macros, <laughs> with everything, right? How to make, you want, you want, you want Taco Bell crunch wrap Supremes. I've done that too, right? I Damn. do tacos. I do steak. I do potatoes, right? 
pasta, like penne vodka, you know, chicken parm, whatever, whatever. Right. And uh, I post these, you know, different things throughout the, uh, you know, at least once a day, sometimes two a day, um, you know, and you can find me there. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of the good people of the world, man. Happy to, very happy to just, uh, number one, that you came down, you came all the way from North Jersey. All right. Uh, and I'm going to tell you what, dude, you have uh, a guaranteed one new client here. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm reaching out to you. We're going to do this, man. You've always been good that way. So I'm going to hit you up. I'm going to give this thing a shot because I've Mm -hmm. done some crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. I did the weird, I did the snake diet. Yeah. I did that. that Oh yeah. That was, um, not the snake oil diet, uh, the snake (laughs) diet. Where I was uh, doing seventy-two hour fasts mm-hmm. and eat, and, and I dropped a snake. Yeah. I, I dropped a ton of weight, and then as soon yeah. as I stopped doing the diet, you just watched it all. I was yeah. like, it was one beer. I think I had one beer, and I was just like, I just all the of a sudden. Beer diet. Yeah, it was pretty much. The it was grapefruit uh, diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I cut. I mean, I did um, paleo. I did all sorts of crap, but mm-hmm. it was always about um, what you seem to do is practical, mm-hmm. and you're not you're not suffering. That's the whole thing. When you suffer on a diet, I can suffer for a long time. I'm yeah. very good at. It. Did it for four and a half years in Jacksonville, Dan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and the 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 thing is too, like, and I always say it too, like, if it's enjoyable, it's sustainable. And ultimately, like, I I kind of hate the term diet because diet like has a negative it, connotation. It has a negative connotation, and it yeah. implies that there's an endpoint, right? right? So, like, I always say, so I always hear people say, "I want to get in shape for the summer." Oh, I have this wedding I have to go to and I want to get in shape for that. Or, you know, I have this other event that I want to look good for. Well, I always say, well, what happens after that? Like what happens after summer's over? Yep. What happens after the wedding? Like you're just going to go back to what you were doing and then be unhappy with yourself again? Like to me. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's like, it's like also too like expectations, right? Like you got to temper expectations. So I always tell, I tell like a lot of my clients and I, you know, tell people like, look, like, don't like as long as you're doing the right thing and you're staying consistent, right? I, I don't ask a lot of people. I just say, you know, do the fasting at least 16 hours. So you wake up, have your first meal be lunch, and then stop around 9 p.m. and then just repeat that. And then go to the gym three days a week for an hour, three hours a week, right? That's all it's that everyone's got three hours, right? Everyone's got three hours a week to just go do something, try to get a little bit better, try to do a little bit more than you did last time. And um and it's not, it's not like go to the gym seven days a week for three hours. Yeah. Like that's the only way it's going to work. No, like it, this is designed for people who don't have a lot of time who, you know, everyone's got, you know, busy, everyone's got things going on. Everyone's got a life. Like you want to make like your health, your fitness, everything kind of fit into what you're already doing and not like revolve your life around it. And like, be so worried, like, Oh, I have to go to the gym. I have to eat healthy. It's like, no, I want to do this. I want to go to the gym today. The I, I want to eat. I want, you know, and then when you're, when you can eat six cheesesteaks for dinner <laughs> and not right. to worry about it, you're like, your reward. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, why, why not? Yeah. So if you're enjoying what you're doing, you're going to stick to it. And, and you just, you just, I'm just going to keep doing this uh, again. I can tell people always that what we said, well, you're still doing the fasting. You're still doing it. You know, you look great. What do you need to do that for? I'm like, because I like doing it and I'm enjoying eating what I'm eating, yeah. you know, and it's, and that's it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> exactly. It's a lifestyle. 100%. Well, yeah, man. Absolutely. I'm going to hit you up after this too. Cause I'm, I got to do something. All mm-hmm. right. And there, you've always been good at motivating yeah, me. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to do that one, man. Thank you for coming down, by the way. Thanks for all having right. me. I'm going to post yeah, everything, all, all the links for him. If you want to check out his Instagram over there, folks, 
Uh, I'll put all that up on uh, our stuff, our page as well. Mm-hmm. Kahuna, anything behind the ones and twos there? Nothing to promote, man, Are but you... uh, always a pleasure to be on another wonderful episode of American Loser. You're goddamn right, man. You're goddamn right. I unfortunately do have stuff I have to plug real quick. So um, we I, are. I got a bag of snakes here. That... <laughs> you got to make some snakes. Hang on. Chinese <laughs> or rattlers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, of course, you guys know what uh, we're plugging right now. The Instagram clip took off. So that's really cool, man. I appreciate that. We're trying to send more traffic, though, over to the YouTube thing. That comedy special, my first full one, directed by Christian Cordez, filmed over at the Smod Castle, retweeted by Kevin Smith. Um, yeah, guys, check that one out. I think it's like over 11,000 views right now. I want to get that up a little bit more. We have defeated all of my enemies, but now I have bigger <laughs> enemies. Okay. We have smited the people that I wanted to smite. But uh, I want to keep that one going. And if you're checking it out and you're one of the listeners of the podcast, do me a favor. In the comment section, just write American Loser or write Devil Dan Sickles. That's how I know it's you guys that's coming through there. I can't really see that stuff because it's uh, uh, the Laugh Buttons page, so I can't tell who's posting sometimes. So if you post like a little code or something like that, that's how I can kind of tell over there. Laugh Buttons been nothing but supportive of us. Uh, they've been really cool to work with. Kahuna did a masterful job on that. He put up a new trailer. Kahuna's going to get me a bunch of other clips, right, too, right? Because now he said it in public and the pressure's on, baby. You said it. (laughs) (laughs) I saw you nod. You didn't see nothing. And we would also be remiss. This episode will be available maybe later tonight, maybe tomorrow. I'm not sure. I'll put everything up there, too, again, with uh, Ant's stuff on there. Uh, It is June 6th. Pretty big day. Pretty big day here. So uh, I forget what numeric anniversary it is, but uh, D-Day. All Mm -hmm. right. So uh, take a moment out just to thank God that some people were willing to land on a beach and, uh, you know, actually uh, stare down evil in the face. So pretty cool shit on that one, man. And thank you so much for coming on, buddy. LP, great job as always. Kahuna, it's going to be you and me, intermittent fasting. We're going to get sexy, buddy. <laughs> what right? you mean? I'm already sexy. That, <laughs> while that is true, I would like to get back to the I'd like to get back to the the KP of maybe 2 years ago where girls were snapping their gum at me in Staten Island. That was that was a good feeling. That was a good feeling. I like to think it was at me. Just hope it's not like Samson's hair. That's <laughs> you lose the weight and you know you're not funny anymore. <laughs> that has been the, I, I will never forget this too. I don't even need to keep going on, but it was one of the funniest things ever was I did one of my jokes about being fat or whatever when i was uh because i i put i lose it and then i put it back on over two years um but it was i did the joke on stage one night and uh of all people it was ken krantz kahuna comes up to me and he just goes he goes uh hey stupid you're too thin to do that joke anymore (laughs) (laughs) so you got to find your fun uh uh, kevin james but uh in his mma movie look i think that's what i have to go for uh anyway that was uh the history of snake oil american loser American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born